Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. My name is Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben. Hi there, Steve. Rudolph Betendach and Jacques Vomerans are our guests for this episode, which Ben takes us over to South Africa in the 1980s for a story steeped in a friendship formed through a love of music. It does indeed, mate. I think at one point in the conversation, Rudolph described um, the act of creativity as a, a weird universal chemistry that transcends borders. And, uh, and these days, uh, Jacques and Rudolph find themselves um, on opposite sides of the world. You know, Jacques still in South Africa and Rudolph is in LA at present. And it is a wonderful story about what friendship and the, the act of creativity brings to to individuals in their life isn't it yeah the, there's um um some of the most vivid pictures being painted in this episode that i think we've that we've ever had and um some descriptions of just the effort and struggle to access music you know throughout their the formative years and stuff just things that we took so much for granted um that were a, that were a, a, a massive struggle and an effort for these guys just to even hear music, let alone be able to get instruments and play it. Yeah, and it, it kind of chimed with a couple of other conversations we've had with people yeah. in in Africa again. You know, with the, with Jonathan Steele a few weeks ago, mm. and also, you know, it reminded me of the, the conversations that we had with Rice Kagona when we did the did a little film interview with him from the Bindu boys, you know, oh, yeah. many, many years back. And there were, you know, in terms of the preciousness of instruments and they, and his story was all about having to share one instrument between the two of them and, mm. and work out how to play that together. Wasn't it? Mm. And, uh, and Rudolph and Jack had to work really, really hard. Like, you know, South Africa at that point in time with, you know, with the cultural boycott going on just to access music, to come across instruments, like you say, the amount of effort that it took really put in perspective kind of how easy we had it as kids coming into music was was a bit of a dream in comparison, wasn't it? Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, how privileged were we <laughs> in comparison to, you know, having to wait for months and months and months and months for one record to land and yeah, that would be it. It would be that. That would be your record for the next six months mm -hmm. or whatever. And, and yeah. The, yeah, the way that all of that is kind of articulated in this interview is is wonderful. And then there's the other side of that, which I found when listening back, I found really affecting that idea about um, music, like the the reverberations of a song recorded in, you know, some pokey studio in Oxford somewhere. You know, finding its way to Pretoria and having a massive effect on these two young men you know who are just eager and desperate for for whatever they can consume and this those two things connecting up and and the, the impact that that has the um you know of a song that someone's written and recorded and put out there yeah and there was and they brought that to life in the conversation about their own music making as well didn't they you know we mm. had, had some reflections on the you know the moment when a song comes into being and what a wonderful Thing that is something that didn't exist a few minutes before and then suddenly there it is in its in it and and it, it takes on a life and meaning all of its own as soon as you put it out there and it rolls out to the first person or the tenth person or the hundredth hundredth person you know and you can't you can't can't, can't stop the impact of a song can you 
No, that's, that's absolutely right. And, 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 and it still goes on. And then you have a conversation about something and then you connect as people uh, over that. And, you know, or, or um, there's a shared sense of humor or, a, you know, something like that, that just is through a creative connection in, a, in the most tenuous of ways that can be uh, genuinely life changing. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and it was such a, an affirming story, the, um, the story of these two young men coming together and making music and then the, the, the difference and distances that their journeys, respective journeys took them on. And then this coming back together in the last kind of four or five years and working on music together again and working, you know, people are going to get to hear this uh, two versions of this song at the end of this show you know one from 30 years ago and one that that they've just brought to life again and it's again it was another one of those moments listening to the you know listening to the the edit and listening to the end of the show when the music comes in how it changes your perceptions of the music you've heard before Mm. having 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 heard the stories of those individuals involved in the making of it Mm. um you know it was it was it was it was a weirdly affecting discussion with those two people, wasn't it? Yep, yeah. Left to, it left us both feeling very very warm at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. T- completely taken by surprise, and then yeah, just really for days afterwards, just really touched by the uh, the, um, the the opportunity to have spoken to to Rudolf and Jacques. Um, and we talk a lot about DIY culture, um, musical DIY culture in, in mm-hmm. this podcast over yeah. the over the fifty six episodes, and this is quite possibly. I mean, we've already t- talked about it a little bit in this introduction, but it's quite possibly the most DIY stuff we've ever <laughs> discussed, sure. yeah. right through to the point of using an angle grinder on stage, which I won't spoil any further. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that stuff is just, yeah, super cool. Yeah, I mean, and the, one of the other things that came out of it that was really, really pleased about was the, um, you know, kind of spotlight that came, the discussions around apartheid, mm-hmm. uh, which I think both of us in discussions before the interview were a little had a little bit of trepidation about you know how would it be how would that come out in the conversation and it came out really uniquely you know kind of like and and refreshing in the kind of the perspective that both Rudolf and Jacques were able to share around their experiences and uh, and not direct political act but the, the how the the act of creativity is can be intrinsically political in itself the uh, the act of doing and making something has a political slant to it doesn't it yeah and we need that right now we need it right now yeah let's have have more of it he did rudolph did say uh, art not bullets can be just as important and impactful to bring about change yeah that was speaking from direct experience wasn't it and yeah like you say we need more of that now Yes, we do. And our sincere thanks to Rudolf and Jacques for coming on the podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a nice review for us at Apple HQ and tell your friends not to fucking vote Tory ever again and listen to our show. <laughs> well said. Come on. <laughs> and on that particular note, let's go over now to our conversation with Rudolf and Jacques on songs from a padded envelope. Uh, I'm Rudolf Beitendorf. 
Yes, and I'm Jacques. And we are collectively known as uh, Haunted Sofa, and we were an 80s band called Gargoyle Yawn, and you're going to be hearing a song called uh, Suicide Dictionary, the original demo, as well as our new version. Um, hi, Rudolf. Hi, Jacques. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, this is very much a story of two friends, two bands, and two versions of the same song divided by, well, I think about 30 years, is it? Yeah. Correct. <laughs> Could you start by telling us where in the world you're both joining us from and where your friendship and musical partnership first began? Jacques? <laughs> yeah, so I'm joining you from South Africa um, in the Johannesburg, the city I'm, I'm currently in. Uh, yeah, and Rudolph. I'm in Los Angeles, um, uh, and uh, soon, soon to be back in the UK. But I've been here for eleven years. Yeah. And how how about where your uh, your your friendship and musical partnership first began? Okay, so this is a fun story. I've been, I've been I, I was hoping I'd get this question. We we in in high school, and you guys might have had the same thing. Remember when everyone had their favorite band etched on their school satchel and it was like a badge of honor right That's it. and in our and in our high school if you were a rebel it was like i don't know kiss or iron maiden or acdc or or just some crap band you know the the, the bands that we all perhaps consider cool uh, didn't quite make it to to pretoria where we went to school so i saw all these school satchels and Kind of just to take the piss, I wrote Vangelis beautifully stenciled on my on my satchel, <laughs> and and I thought no one would get the joke, but Jacques uh, got the the joke, and per perhaps he can continue from there. <laughs> yeah, so, it it was absolutely amazing because we we were starved for 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 good music in South Africa, you know, um, our traditional Afrikaans music, you know, my my home language and that. Um, it, it certainly didn't in, inspire myself and it certainly didn't in, inspire Rudolf. And my, my girlfriend at, at the time, her sister, her sister's boyfriend, I, I'm, I went to go and visit her the one day and he, he was um, playing Vangelis. And I thought, oh my word, I've never heard this in my life. And for people all over the rest of the world, it's most probably common kind of, you know, hearing that, that kind of music. But in South Africa, it wasn't. So that's how I was introduced to Vangelis. And then when I saw it at, and when we were in, in high school, I thought, oh, wow, there's somebody else that actually know, knows this music. And that's where the conversation and friendship started. And it just never ended, you know. And, and, and then we discovered, of course, the bands we really, really had in common were, you know, Joy Division, Echo and the Bunnymen. Um, these these were the real things. Lloyd Cole was a big one for us. Um, but but that's where it all all started, yeah. And 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 then uh, I remember I think it was Jacques' dad was a pretty good musician. I've I've never heard him play, but he had guitars. And 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 Jacques and his brother learned to play guitar properly. I'm I'm still trying to learn properly. Um, and we used started to get together at my house, his house, and the guitar would invariably come out and. Uh, and what, once we got a, a little more proficient, we, we kind of had a rule, and the rule was perhaps stupid because the rule was no cover versions ever, you know. And uh, and so we just started to write our own songs for for better or worse. Yeah. Well, well, Rudolf, I just want to tell you that it was a good thing that you never heard my dad play because he played traditional Afrikaans music. So don't worry about <laughs> that. 
<laughs> and and to give the audience a, an idea, traditional Afrikaans music was a bit like, almost a bit like German umpa umpa, uh, you know, kind of music. Uh, yeah. uh, Have you subsequently developed a love uh, for Vangelis? <laughs> uh, I, I think Blade Runner, for instance, is a is a timeless yeah, yeah, classic, and, uh, and, uh, uh, but I have I have the obscure ones. I have soil festivities, uh, things that you could only listen to with a, with a glass of whiskey in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want you to talk a little bit more about um, how did you, in the sort of pre-internet era in South Africa, how did you come across stuff like, I mean, you have mentioned Echo and the Bunnymen and the 4AD artists and Nick Cave. How did, how was that sort of music coming to you guys? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and there were really, uh, sorry to jump in, Jack, there were really only two sources. There was a, there was a radio show, uh, a one hour or two hour radio show on a Saturday night called Barney Simon's something something. The Shadow uh, Show. The Shadow Show. And, 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 and he would feature the UK indie charts, yeah. you know, as featured in Melody Maker or, or, or and, uh, and then there was a record store uh, run by a very smart uh, Indian gentleman uh, in Joburg called Street Records. And uh, I mean, we would pay insane amounts of money for, for the, we'd, we'd save up for three months and we could order a record and it would take three months to arrive. And, and it's all, it's kind of important for our whole musical history, this thing, you know, equipment, musical inspiration was, was hard to come by. Yeah. Very much so. And the other thing is, is that, I mean, we, we also, um, the, the Melody Maker and Enemy was available, but it was two, two or three months, you know, all the way. You'd, you'd, you'd get the Christmas edition in March, you yeah. know. <laughs> Literally. And if there was any tape involved, you didn't get that with the, the, the Enemy or the Melody Maker. But, but um, Rolf's right. Um, I remember the, the first time I heard... House of Love, Christine was on the Shadow Show, and I was actually at Rudolph's house, and that it it just it just blew my mind to think that there was that kind of music out there. We we were really deprived, and um, I don't use that that word lightly, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's a good example of a song that just came that sounded like nothing else. Yeah, totally, absolutely. At the time, yeah. I mean, it still sounds great, but at the time, it was. Otherworldly, in the way that "Birthday" by Sugar Cubes was also like yes. a, a, a master, masterpiece. Uh, exactly, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and that was one. That was one of those. Yeah. And and these were you've just mentioned. Yeah, huge influences on us. Uh, the Sugar Cubes, the House of Love, uh, Tinder Sticks was the other one. Um, yeah, but but again, you know, yes, a funny story. So so Jacques was quite fluent on the guitar. I I realized I had to catch up. We were in high school at this stage, and I convinced my parents after nagging and nagging and nagging them to to sponsor me for some guitar lessons. And I took my favorite song was probably something like "Bring On the Dancing Horses," you know, mm. and showed it to this long-haired dude that was now going to teach me the guitar, and. To make a long story short, I, I'd show up for an hour a week for three weeks, and he would be playing Ingwie Malmsteen licks on <laughs> on, yeah. his, on his strat, you know. And after the third lesson, I was like, I, I'm done. I, I don't know. I, I can't figure out what this guy is doing, you know. And oh. <laughs> just taking a step back to you know, if you're a, you're buying yourself maybe 
just a handful of albums across the year you're saving up that must make that music so precious when you finally get it into your hands very very much so and i i mean um i remember i mean and and rudolph you you were too it's just that back then you would listen to that album over and over and over and over because you, you just couldn't believe how good the music was i mean these days and i don't know how everybody else finds it but these days i listen to a really good album and listen to it a couple of times um but then you know looking for the next best album out or, or um but back then it, it really was um and if if i didn't have the album there was a, a recording of a recording of a recording on a, on a, on a on a tape really yeah, because you, you you would be sitting in front of the radio waiting for That's for it. for i uh, actually sp speaking of birthday right i'd be sitting in front of the radio waiting for birthday to come on but then the dj would talk over the intro That's you know yeah. and yeah you guys remember those days of giving my age away but uh the marvel of mp3s right and... yeah yeah i found myself regressing a little bit into if i find it finding a, a new record that i really like to just like a, a, a exclusion of everything else just immerse myself in that record for a bit and sort of revisiting that way of listening to music just just in the last couple of years that just needing to do it actually it's not like yeah. even like a conscious decision needing to have that uh getting to know a, that that relationship with with new music again because yeah. it just you know it's hardwired to enjoy stuff that way it's know? so true steve and 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 uh you know everyone keeps telling me why wow, you still got cds and i go yeah because every now and then i want to take out that sleeve and just sit on the couch and look at the lyrics and look at the photographs and and enjoy an album in its entirety you know yeah, yeah. rudolph you know what that that actually takes me back to when we got into 4ad because 4ad was just it was incredible not just the music but the the artwork and everything mm. um mm. And, and almost anything that that we could find on on 4ad was was worthwhile listening to yeah i remember someone and this came from a very old enemy or melody maker someone said a, a 4ad record was something you wanted to take home and give a saucer of milk to you know <laughs> 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 but, but we loved, you know, Cocteau Twins, Wolfgang Press. We were we adored that band. Uh, still do, actually. Uh, the big one for for me was this Mortal Coil, of course, yeah, which wasn't so much so much a band. But but we were heavily influenced by by these bands. The Dead Can Dance was another big influence because we, another thing we should talk about. We talk about scarcity of records. We should talk about the scarcity of musical instruments in South Africa. Yes. Uh, for instance, on the on the uh, demo recording of, of of Suicide Dictionary, you know, there's the sound of someone banging pieces of metal, and and that was literally, we couldn't get our hands on drums, so our percussion instrument, we we built our own percussion instrument. Oh, love that. Yeah. Come on, tell tell us what you built. <laughs> you know what, Rudolph. Um, Rudolph and his sister are extremely talented people. They they are so creative, and I mean she's an artist, and um, she welded this 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 construction of um, uh, a shock from a or, or a spring from a car was on it, and yeah, the the pieces yeah. that that she welded together into this absolutely incredible work of art. Yeah, we found two. We had two metal coils that dangled from the sides, and then we had some half a drum and strapped to the middle somewhere, and it had these arms. The, the, the best thing about this this 
playable sculpture was uh, one of our instruments was the angle grinder, and you could just you could just grind away at your at your drum stand, and and it looked pretty cool during a gig. When I think back about it, I operated that thing without gloves, and the, the fact that I still have fingers, you know. Eight beers later, a- handling an angle grinder in front of a live audience, it's, it's a little, okay, we won't go there. Hey, are there some pictures from this era? Are there pictures? Yeah, of yes, yes. Oh, I, think, I think you need to post I'll them. I'll have to find time. some. I'll have yeah, to find, find them. Some. That's but, amazing. Uh, Can you imagine miking up an angle grinder for that? <laughs> Just be so much and, so, and so our guitars came from the, the local uh, charity stores in, in Joburg, um, and and we got lucky once or twice and suddenly we we had enough to to start a band yeah i remember going going around um um the city of joburg and with rudolph going to all the pawn shops looking for um effects pedals because the the effects pedals you you could find at the music shops were were just so expensive because we wanted we wanted that cocktail twin sound and we heard of a thing called a chorus pedal right and we we've got to have one of these and uh, not easy to get yeah but it it, it was absolutely in- incredible because when we found the chorus pedal not not long after that um you spotted that burns 12 string in one of the pawn shops in pretoria and um Rudolf phoned me and said listen there's a 12 string and i don't know anything about burns we w- walked in there i thought Wow, twelve string. Uh, luckily, the owner of the pawn shop didn't know what a burn was <laughs> either. Oh, that's, that's, what a find! Yeah, and when when you plug that in through a chorus pedal, oh my word! Yeah, it was an absolutely incredible sound. That yeah, we found so so that guitar kind of influenced the the, the latest the latest sounds. We start the, then we started to like like a lot of the. Uh, like the joy divisions that became new order like the you know we we started with that really uh almost a, a goth industrial sound and and went into a more of a sort of a shoegaze kind of vibe that we mm. that we really like so given the the sort of scarcity of instruments and also the difficulties with getting hold of uh um records and uh, uh, what was the scene like in terms of other bands amongst your peers and uh, and a scene to start to get involved with to develop as a band how how um vibrant was that yeah that was again there, there was this, there was starting to be there was a, a rebel it was this you know everyone always always talks about oh the bad old apartheid years um these were the apartheid years and and even to be um it's funny i'm watching on just before i joined this podcast i was watching a as we are all engrossed with this terrible war at the moment i was watching a short documentary that the bbc did about belarus rolled by a dictator and everything is controlled south africa was a a tiny bit like that and so it was difficult to be a, a subversive band but at the same time sometimes censorship and all these things breed interesting subversive bands and so there was there was a slow scene beginning to develop but it was our outlets for playing gigs and clubs there were perhaps only a handful of clubs there was a club in 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 a crazy dangerous part of downtown joba called alcatraz and there was a place in pretoria where we lived called the fridge and it would essentially be an empty room that someone rented out and and they put up some dj lights and uh, had some had some really good djs actually but these these clubs became very popular with 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 the disenchanted youth of South Africa, and so these were they weren't musical venues where bands could play. Bands would play at, at these kind of clubs essentially. 
Did it did it feel that it was almost political in terms of the the action of coming together and making you know making music creatively together? Did it feel like it had that kind of impact for you? I think so. Uh, what do you yeah. think, Shark? I think, yeah, it, yeah. and we went in. We went an inherent political band as such. But I think just the 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 choice of playing this kind of music in a country that that was very repressed, uh, uh, it was a you know our way of of rebelling. We only want to do you know meet girls and have a good time, right? But uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, but there, but our songs had a lot actually had social commentary in it and and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, and if I think back to to bands like Live Jimmy um, Presley as well, Rudolph, same same kind of thing. They they were a bit more in, industrial than us, but yeah, also nothing that we've ever heard of. Yes, and 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 that's a band I, I I told Ben about that if you ever wanted to do feature another South African band, that's the yeah. one because they were kind of uh, the. the they took it quite far. There was another band called Battery Nine that that, oh, that did very well. Um, uh, more of a more of a techno industrial band uh the kind of the kind of uh alternative there were alternative rock bands but there weren't any other bands that were trying that were inspired by the bands that we we were the only band that were kind of inspired by this let's call it british new wave british shoegaze british shoegaze there weren't any other bands in south africa that would try to to go for that sound I'm so I'm definitely interested in hearing a band that's more industrial than than you guys having than having an angle grinder on stage, and they're more industrial than you. <laughs> so here's a funny angle grinder story. So we got invited to play a gig uh, at the at the uh, uh, illicit Alcatraz, and and I think it was something like a satanic rock festival they built it as, and we, we were you know we were. We had good Christian parents. We weren't exactly trying to make satanic rock, but we, we if we didn't play in a metal lineup, we, we wouldn't get featured. Again, industrial music was yeah, no one no one would really go there. And so we showed up for our for our it was our first big gig. There were like five bands on the on the roster. And the band before us had two angle grinders. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, we're in trouble. How are we going to compete with this? <laughs> twice the noise, twice the sparks. You know, like, oh, yeah. And brilliant. three times the uh, three times the amount of bottles that got thrown at, at us as well, Rudolph. That that's right. That's right. Really? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. yeah I, I think I went on stage and I said, you know, there's, there's still time to let the Lord Jesus Christ into your lives. And and, and <laughs> yeah, that was hey, no, no, no sense of humor, you know. <laughs> oh. uh, it feels it feels like we ought to track back a little bit from where we are at the moment. And um, you talked a little bit about um, growing up, Jack, playing guitar. How was music for you growing up at home, Rudolph? Um, yeah, it was. So these radio shows. Uh, borrowing records from the library and these records would get taped and passed passed around um i mean i started i i've always been an, a music collector and a colossal i bought a johnny cash record when i was 10 years old and loved it you know and um friends of my father had a good record collection and but i always gravitated towards the dark stuff and um and so alternative radio shows trying to keep track of what's going on in England, as we mentioned, trying to find these records um, was it was a huge influence in, in, in me eventually wanting to I, I, was, I also loved poetry, I loved writing. And so to 
to be able to write lyrics, I gravitated towards those bands that actually had beautiful, meaningful lyrics. Not that I didn't appreciate, uh, uh, you know, uh, final year of first year of university, I needed to get a job and I actually uh, got a job at a record store. And I had a very progressive boss who was a massive Pixies fan. And so suddenly I was introduced to the Pixies. I was like, whoa, these 90 second songs are the best thing I've ever heard in my life, you know? And so, so I also managed to, to suck up musical influences through, through this job. And, and I could bring, uh, I could borrow CDs from the record because of the beauty of a CD, right? You can take it home and bring it back on the Monday and it can still be sold. Uh, so I started to introduce our band to some of these uh, European influences. Yeah, and thank, thank, thank goodness for that, Rudolf, because um, a lot of the, the the music that I listened to back then and and still came came from that that era, you know, because yeah, you you had access to it, and with that progressive buzz, you you could actually import a whole range of CDs that we never would have been able to listen to, music wise. It's so it's so funny this whole yeah, it's funny we we steered the conversation that way, but it's funny how memory works. I remember. You know, we're talking about the music, but then of course there's also the the accoutrements of being a cool teenager. I remember, I remember I had to buy my my DMs secondhand. You couldn't get new yeah. DMs in South Africa, you know. So oh, good, my friend who once whose family once visited England is selling his uh, his Dr. Martens and it's my shoe size. I can get them, you know. Yeah. Given the 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 um, interest in um, the UK indie music scene and. I guess a lot of that was built around sort of small small labels um, uh, and and that sort of DIY spirit. What were your ambitions when you when the band started to do gigs and did did you aspire to um, a, a life in music and and trying to get your music to a wider audience? Yes, but it was a dream, right? That yeah, I think the dream was. I think the dream is still there <laughs> i i just always had serious doubt in, in in my own musical abilities i'm one of those doubt doubting artists you know and um uh but absolutely i mean uh, there were so many amazing small indie uk labels and uh, that didn't exist in in south africa which is sadly why we what what the the demo people will hear at the end of the session is uh i think it was recorded live to tape because even it wasn't the opportunity to really you couldn't even save up the money and go into a small studio and and record your music because those small studios didn't exist so hmm. so there was always the dream hey maybe someone will hear this or be at one of the gigs and come and say hey come and record it to record a proper demo was perhaps as high as our ambitions went at, at that stage uh, but we always dreamt of it of it going further or, or how would you say Jacques to that question no I, I i agree i agree with you rudolf and um and unfortunately, in, in South Africa, with the kind of music we were making back then, there was just no way somebody w was going to do that after a gig. But what, what, I, what I did enjoy was the creative process and that, that um, we, we, we didn't back down from that because that's the kind of music we, we really enjoyed making. And, but I, I agree with you. I, you know, back then, I was hoping that we could get, get into um, sort of a, a, a bigger music scene. And um, after I finished uh, conscription, I'm just jumping a little bit, um, finished my, my, because we, we had to go to army and Rudolf finished studying. Um, he, he was at film school as well. 
you went to the, the quick game. background the quick background before job sorry to interrupt but he basically if you reached a certain age and you and you weren't signed into a university you were conscripted into the army i was lucky i knew what i wanted to study and i mm. so then you get three years before you get conscripted but jock straight out of high school uh, so just the context Jacques, yeah. go on <laughs> Thank you. thanks thanks for that rudolph and and rudolph said listen um, i've had enough I'm, I'm going to the uk and when we were at school, we were both talking about it, but he, he had the fortitude to go. And yeah, I, I didn't go with, so there, there might've been a, a chance there, Rudolph, you know, that that's, mm. yeah, we mm. could start a gigging mm. again or, or whatever. Mm. I really like where, where we're at now. You know, the, the, the creative process, although you're not always here, and, and you were not too long ago, and it was absolutely great having you, and we were able to record some stuff. I agree, and in our minds, uh, I know time marches on, but it feels like every time we work on something together, it feels like literally, and you guys may have the same experience, every time you get together with a band, it's like, uh, I was watching recently the reunion of Tears for Fears, right? And they, they said something similar. It's like time just disappears. As soon as you're in a creative space, it's like no time has, has actually passed, and, and we just we just seem to gel i i, I think jock probably the, the 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 fresh recording of the song i think jock probably did it in in a, in a couple of hours the music to it and i i certainly i just wrote i just pressed the record button and the lyrics came or it was automatic writing the song there was no i didn't sit with pen and paper and make up lyrics it just it just came i never did that you know so it was it's it's that kind of collaboration which is wonderful yeah it is wonderful We've had some nice conversations. In fact, the last person that we were interviewing who talked about kind of um, whether or not they regret some of the decisions that they took or opportunities that didn't open up for them and had a really sort of fresh perspective on it, which sounds similar to what you've just shared, that sometimes when you take a direction and you, initially it feels like you might have missed something, something else happens from it that kind of wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a road you've taken had you had that you know you know had things not worked out in that same way yeah. so i think you know there's it sounds like there's some element of that in your story mm. and, and they're coming back together as well because from a from a I, making music and again you guys will attest to that it, it's one of the most pleasurable experiences on earth and and there's a side of me what if i didn't decide to be a filmmaker and leave for england what if i stuck with the band you know and um I, I do still have those uh, moments of regret, uh, but then, but then, making the music itself was a form of rebelling and a form of getting rid of frustration. So, so it's definitely, even as a let's call it an unrealized band, it's it still fulfilled a, a very important. I think it kept us it kept us <laughs> alive at one point. You know, it stopped us from going into depression. That's it, hundred percent. How much did you um, you were you were listening to music together? How much did you talk about becoming a band and making music before it actually happened? How did those sort of first song and first first working on music come together? Yeah, Jacques, you might have a better memory than me. When when we called Swans on Glass at some point, yeah, that's inspired was... by modern English or something. Uh... That's right. It 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 started off there, but I'm um. I'm actually trying to think, you, you, you know what Rudolph is, is that the, the way I, I remember it, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it started with the, with the, the shadow show, you know, um, on, on, on that Saturday evening, going to your house when, when I was at school in, in Pretoria as well. 
and listening to the music and we were talking about going oh my word you know can can you imagine you know this is the kind of music that that's out there and and I, I, yeah from what i can remember it, it sort of sort of started off there talking about making that kind of music yeah that that that, that makes sense that does make sense i mean we were the the other band to mention that was hugely influential on us was on, on me anyway was the the swans uh and um i remember songs that just were very very simple three four chord songs but it had this power behind it uh um and and so there was a kind of a uh, affinity with that kind of sound where wow maybe with just a, a 12 string acoustic some heavy percussion and and some heavy uh, subject matter we, i had something to say and jack had something to strum and the world needed to hear it you know <laughs> <laughs> there's um those uh, those formative experiences of music and and when when you find those bands and the, the that stuff that you just absolutely adore um from the experience of someone growing up in the uk that, that what goes hand in hand with that is being able to go and see those bands play wow. you know and, and 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 those regular trips to to gigs and and those kind of underpin all that stuff and and uh, uh, so that's a big part of it how was that in, in south africa in terms of live music and bands zero bands? zero chance <laughs> south I'm... africa so because of the apartheid regime there was an equity equity ban from the uk again so actually i you know we're talking about getting hold of these U, uk records they had to be imported illegally because right. uh, britain didn't allow any films or music to be exported to south africa um and so th there were there wasn't a live music scene Apart from underground bands like ourselves, you couldn't you couldn't see your your heroes. And and actually, you, you know what, Rudolf? Now that now that you mention that, it's it's exactly that um, going um, into the video stores back then. And Rudolf, thank goodness, when he was at film school, found this one video store where you could go to and find the British stuff. But all of a sudden, all of the Monty Pythons and all of that gone off the shelves. Mm. You know, um, so yeah. But but then yeah, we, we were we were we were real Anglophiles, uh, myself and Jacques, yeah. And how much did you have to do in terms of DIY, in terms of getting you know writing your songs and then taking get taking it out and playing shows? Did you have to put the shows together yourself, or were there were there venues you could go and play at? Uh, there were venues. There were the same two venues I mentioned were were pretty. I mean, there was a third club. I can't. Jacques might remember the name. Um, but it was a case of it was almost if you if there was a night of live performances and you were vaguely capable of playing you were probably assured a spot uh because it wasn't yeah there were so few opportunities you would say hey i've got a band can we play you'd give them your demo tape they'd say yeah you're on and uh, but but you'd have to organize your own amps you'd have to organize your own you know equipment in it i mean the mics were probably there and the and the club's pa was there but but yeah. everything else you had to you had to sort out and i were the band supportive of, of one another in those circumstances absolutely yeah. absolutely you, the, the same old instruments would get swapped and yeah and uh, um we at one point borrowed a drummer from another band who was a very good we always wanted to try and steal him away my friends had a band called the uh, killy car thieves and uh, and uh, they were they were like a 
a Pixies, Pixies rip-off band, you know, everything they played sounded like the Pixies, but they had a phenomenal uh, drummer, and I remember I was trying to, we only had a drum machine, so it was our dream to have a, a live yeah. drummer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Was there any ever any talk amongst the bands about getting out of South Africa and trying to, to make your music in another country? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember those, the, uh, those conversations. No. Um, I don't know with with live Jimmy Presley. I mean, you've you've had more more contact with them recently. I don't know back then if they were actually talking like that. No, I don't think so. I think yeah, I think we're all sort of stuck in our in our little world. I, I think financially it, it wouldn't have been a, an an option. You know, um, good thought though. I mean, yeah, but but I think so. I, it's interesting how Australian bands have sort of cracked the globe a little bit. The South African bands. I can only think of the Barlow Tones. That have had uh, success beyond South Africa as a as an alternative rock band. Um, I was uh, I'm going to confess to something here, and I don't know, uh, but I, I I had a guilty pleasure for a couple of years. I really liked Johnny Clegg. Oh, love Johnny oh, Clegg. Yes, so, yes. He's I forgot. I, for, I forgot about Johnny. Yeah, yeah a bunch of Johnny Clegg records, and uh, I just thought I just thought they were great. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. No, yeah, he sadly no. sadly passed away last year, and we were all oh, really? mourning it. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, I, I actually but, um, two years ago I was listening to a, a interview on on a podcast, and um, what an incredible, you know, musician as well, but a, as a human being, absolutely yeah. phenomenal man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very good example. I forgot about Johnny. But what I think they gave him one song at Live Aid, which really uh, pissed me off. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, of the people that should be get, getting more of a platform out of that event. Yeah, uh, right. And, 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 you know, and someone who really had something to say. Exactly. Yeah. Someone who really had something to say about the situation. Yeah. And stuff. It was it was interesting in the interview because what 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 he said is, is when they started off as Jaluka, um, the the white people didn't want to listen to him because of the apartheid thing, and the black people didn't want to listen to their music because he was white, and he was stuck sort of in that weird limbo or or or, or that twilight, if I can call it that. But when they went to France, they were huge. You know, he said that that's where they finally realized, okay, our music is getting out, you know, and, and what we're trying to do. Yeah, there was a there was a brilliant um, optimism to that to, to that music. And also a, 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 um, I, I like the sort of the way that they were they would kind of co-opt stuff from all over the place into those records. Um, and it and it, it wasn't particularly cool. Right. <laughs> how, did, how, did, how did you come to it then, Steve? Uh, John Peel, I think. Ah, John Peel right, played Scatterlings right. of Africa. Oh, which right. Was like big tune, and uh, and that, and I really loved it. Yeah, I thought it was great. I discovered that on vinyl. I, I, you know, of course, I know Johnny Clegg very well, but I discovered that here at a shop in LA on vinyl recently, and I was like, "Yay! I can revisit <laughs> this one." Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. Let's put a link to Johnny Clegg in the show notes. God bless it. Yeah. Good call. Absolutely. Good call. Yeah. Uh, Guys, there was a lot in the bio that you sent over about the kind of various iterations of the band, lineup changes and stuff. Can you take us through some of that, some of the story of the evolution of the band? So started off as just me and Jacques. Then uh, your brother joined us, right, Jacques, uh, on the, on the lead guitar because yeah. he was a very accomplished guitarist. Yeah, he's he's one of those those um, insanely ir irritating natural musicians, you know. <laughs> 
and, and because he was so good musically, he soon lost patience with my own vo vo vocal abilities. <laughs> and me, Rudolph. <laughs> you know, if you remember, yeah. we we butted heads, and in the end, he decided, well, you know, bugger this, I'm not not playing with you guys anymore. <laughs> and uh, and um, and he probably and they... couldn't compete with the angle grinder. Could <laughs> exactly. <he? laughs> Although, yeah. although at first we tried to appease him by bringing a female vocalist to the mix, and and, and we actually all we all we, we always you know at that stage, you know uh, we loved like we said the four AD sound. My other all time favorite band was Mazzy Star, you know. So we 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 wanted that we, that's what we wanted to go with our fuzz pedal, you know, and um, and so we recruited a a, a friend of mine. Uh, Anya uh, Duplessis, beautiful, angelic-looking girl with a gorgeous voice. She was our she was our Elizabeth Fraser for for a, for a better or worse, and um, and she played with us for a while. And then she fell in love with a guy. At that stage, the techno scene hit South Africa. This is yeah. now late uh, no, this is our early nineties, ninety three, ninety four. The acid house scene. You guys will remember yeah. that. Suddenly, everyone was going to illegal raves. Um, I remember trying to hold on to her by going with her to one of these raves, wearing my uh, wedding present uh, sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> freshly, freshly arrived, uh, you know, after importing it from the UK, and then I got hit by a by a firework at the gig, and it burned clean through my new uh, oh, wedding yeah. present shirt. <laughs> and those techno, if we thought, if you thought the angle grinder gigs were were wild, you should have seen the techno gigs, yeah. right? um and and so anya quit the band we were way too indie for her and um and i think for a short while then we got uh, we got amber i can't remember her full story jacques the girl from Attic yeah. muse we we, um, we actually heard her on the on the the shadow show wasn't it when we that's actually... right she had, she had a band called attic muse a fantastic that's, that's... band that got a lot of radio play um, then, but they've broken up, I think. Yeah. But back back then, and then you you actually ordered the the tape and somehow started writing to her or something, and yeah, she came to to one of the the sort of rehearsals, and then somehow yeah, you you actually she liked came. what we did. Yeah, she liked what we did, and um, but she had, she quit our band at that satanic <laughs> rock festival because getting bottles thrown at her was was not what she signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, it was a bit more serious. At, at that same night, there was a shooting outside the club. Some people got out of hand. The cops yeah. showed up, and it was just a miserable experience that night. Um, and and then we recruited recruited a, a, a oh no, let's backtrack a little. We we knew a guy who had an ASR ten. Remember Jan, Jan Jacques, yes. the guy who had <laughs> a lovely. He was a record dealer. He dealt in in vinyl records which was great for our our taste for 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 the obscure records but he had an asr 10 on sonic uh, sampler keyboard oh. and this was the most amazing thing we'd ever seen you know you could you could sample a minute of stuff and you could you know um so we 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 invited him to the band just so we could use his keyboard <laughs> the beast he he called it he called it the beast the, the beast <laughs> and and that was actually our introduction to let's call it more synth based uh, uh music uh that the jock really fell in love with and and you can hear it on the on the remake of the track 
Yeah, it's it, it it's amazing because that definitely did did open it up for me, Rudolph. Because I I can play a little bit uh, of guitar, and I'm sure if if I really carried on, you know, I would have been somewhere. But uh, he's being very modest. He's, he's no, a very good player. But the 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 whole synth thing definitely, and I mean, yeah, playing around with that definitely opened it for me. And then um, yeah, funny. And we could sequence, we could sequence, yes. which was great. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And 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 actually going going back a, a little bit further, I remember you introducing me to, I mean, uh, um, Vienna by Ultravox was a hit that we you heard on the radio as well. But then Rudolf, I, I don't even know where you got the videotape, but Visions in Blue and songs like that. Um, mm. Yeah, mm. That, that that kind of synth. Yeah. No, we forgot about Ultravox. That's another band that was a huge influence on us yeah. from high school. Yeah, uh, especially the John Vox stuff. It was for me. It was always oh, when Mitch Ure joined the band, it went downhill. But but Vienna was an exception. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you just reminded me of such, such a <laughs> random memory. You just reminded me like going tell into us, tell us. my first day at high school and uh going into this into the, the my, my uh, tutor group for the first time and the teacher introducing himself saying hello my name's mr haynes and uh i really like uh, uh um ultravox not the midgeal stuff the john fox stuff <laughs> <laughs> it was like his opening gambit I about that you just <laughs> i've just done the same i've just done the same yeah <laughs> but 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 when we heard that it was like okay we need to get a we need to get a keyboard as well this guitar stuff's not going to cut it anymore you know no. <laughs> yeah and and that's how how young um became in, in, involved yeah and then we have iteration last with, with doing that stuff not that long actually uh, uh then we fell in then we then then we felt we needed some strings and and then we got a girl who st stuck with us called amla Mayer who, who played violin and we loved that the, for us the mix of acoustic guitars and violin or yeah. electric guitar and violin was was a big deal and um i was re-listening to that demo just before the show and i was like wow she did a good job with uh keeping keeping up with with uh, with what's going on there and uh how much of your music did you actually manage to record given that it was fairly difficult to to come together to record stuff yeah yeah sadly we had to record live to tape and and so i remember vaguely us getting our hands on a four track tape recorder at one point but i think that technology was beyond us uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. so 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 rudolph we we recorded suicide dictionary um butterfly mask mm-hmm we, I have a tape full of tracks that we recorded. Um, I mean, there's an album's worth worth of stuff, but but the quality is, is no, really it, poor it, because we, as much as we knew about bands and what we wanted to achieve, we, we didn't have particularly good microphones or particularly good uh, recording equipment. But uh, but we did we we put these tapes together. There's even a tape of Jacques' solo output. I have like a tape with like twelve songs that he recorded by himself and. There's a tape of about five songs that I recorded by myself, but but it was always best when when we got together with, with a third or a fourth musician and yeah, yeah. Where I... did your solo output take you, Chuck? Is it like a jazz fusion kind of? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all all of a sudden I, I I cut my long hair off and you know started shaving and um, yeah clean again. No, it's it's it it definitely was more synth orientated and. And um, like yeah, for for lack of a better word, linear, you know, sort of beaty kind of stuff, not 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 quite techno kind of stuff, if I remember correctly. 
but but that's where the the amazing thing for me happens is that when Rudolf and myself start making music because Rudolf's not a linear person you know he's he's creative you know um output is everywhere except for the 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 midline you know and that is where where a lot of my my inspiration came from you know we were chatting about when when he, he was out here it's yeah, he's 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 definitely the 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 muse for me when when it when it comes to the music. You know, I I start making music and I send it over to him, and I know whatever's going to come back. And it's weird because there there's a there's a, a sort of a instrumental that that I well I thought it was going to be an, an an instrumental with quite quite a lot of beaty stuff, but also with a bit of more obscure sounds in between. And um, I, I sent it to Rudolf saying, yeah, just having fun. Because Rudolf isn't a, a typical, um, you know, 4-4 four, four beat, you know, drum machine, must sound like this all the way through kind of person. And he, he wrote this brilliant song called Viral Overload, you know, about COVID and Donald Trump and the Queen and all of them. And he put samples in between and, and, and sent it back. And I, I was absolutely blown away. But then afterwards I thought, I'm I'm really not surprised, you know, because that's the 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 the, the kind of inspiration that that well, I would believe works both ways. But yeah, he's, he's I had it on Facebook for a while, then I thought I'm going to get deported. I'll, I'll, I'll they'll, they'll cancel my my green card will get cancelled if I have this song. <laughs> but but, but uh, yeah, sorry sorry, Rolf. Just just to quickly um, jump back, Steve, is that I, I I definitely more more synth orientated. You know, I'll I'll sit half a day just listening to different sounds and all of a sudden oh okay i like that sound and that's that that's where it, it would go and having access to that asr 10 when jan didn't want to um take it back from joburg to pretoria uh, it's about 50 k's away because he, he did a lot of flea markets so we would have band practice and said listen can i just leave it here until next weekend and that was some of the best times you know we would jump in and then and record yes yeah <laughs> this friendship sounds like it's been so significant for you um, um, how important has it been in both of your kind of creative lives that it's sustaining this friendship together oh it's it's huge i mean i i remember once when a girlfriend left me and i was so depressed i just wanted to jump off a building and and jacques was there and it was like nope I'm, I'm not going to let you out of my sight tonight. I'm taking care of you, you know? It's it's that kind of friendship, you know? Um, and, and, and this way of making music long distance, I mean, for all the for all the complaints about lack of technology to do music when we were in our, in our teens and in our 20s, now it's such a blessing. We both have a copy of Logic Pro. We both have guitars, good microphones, and, and it's such a gift to, to just play. And there's no pressure, of course. I mean, our dream would be for someone, a bit like in the old days, our dream would be for someone to say, hey, send me some of those demos. I'll produce them for you. you know? yeah, but, it's it. but it's so much it's so much fun, just the, the act of creating. Yeah. Agreed. What prompted that for you to come back together? How did that come about? I think it came from you, Jacques. You, you better take that one. Yes. Uh... How many years ago? I, I would say about four four years ago, I decided to I I, I wanted to learn how how to play piano, and um, I looked around at pianos and thought, well, you know, they the ones that that sound really nice are expensive, and if I want to move, you know, carting all of that, so I I went to a music shop and I got myself um, a Native in Instrument Complete Control keyboard, and um, 
yeah, started playing around and recording that way um, and just sent it through to Rudolph. And then, like I said, yeah, the the, the, the first one I, I sent through was just a, a instrumental as well. I, I actually can't remember which one it was, but it was similar to that viral overload, what happened. All of a sudden, just came back with lyrics and, yeah, it's it just started from there. But it's amazing. You'll get an email in the morning and, and here's a track and you listen to it and he blows every time I'm blown away and I'm like, wow, I don't really want to touch this, but OK, I'll try and touch this, no. you know, and, uh, and it goes from there. What made you go back to Suicide Dictionary, Jack? Uh, it was one of those um, fond, fond memories because they were and, and on, on, on a lot of the, the songs that, that I wrote, I would come up with a, a couple of lyrics we'd meet up the, the next weekend, um, you know, for band practice and Rudolph will say, okay, and um, just take it from there, change some of the lyrics, but, but keep, keep the, 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 the sort of structure of it. And yeah, you know, I, I, and, and in, in suicide dictionary, I'm, I'm jumping a little bit, but there's a, I, I, I got stuck after the first verse and then he put in the, the, the next line was um, got stuck on, on B on being me, you know, and it, that just blew my mind. I mean, you know, when you read through all of the lyrics and funny enough, um, he, he, he changed it for the, whoops, sorry about that. He changed it for the second recording. There were some lyrics that were, were, were changed again, but that was one of the, the collaborations and songs that I was the happiest with, you know. Um, then th there was an, an, another one was um, Butterfly mm -hmm. Mask, Rudolph. Rudolph gave me these lyrics that he had written and all of a sudden I just heard a tune, you know? Yeah. Creation, hey, eh? The act of creation, Ben, you, you, you guys very much have that kind of in flotation, have that kind of workflow too, where, where ideas come from everywhere and, and just go somewhere. It's, it's, a, it's a magical thing. I didn't know the thing that, uh, you know, the moment that something comes into existence that didn't exist before is a truly wonderful thing, yeah. isn't it? Yes, absolutely incredible, Ben. And and I know, you know, you we always think of, you know, you have the two kinds of songwriters, right? You have the, the Leonard Cohen who sits for three months and he comes up with something that just blows your mind. Or you have the Bob Dylan who can write 50 songs a, a, a day, you know? Um, and for us, there's, there's that spontaneity where I get inspired by a piece of music. And like I said earlier, it's almost like automatic writing for me to, to, to do something and Jacques will get a, a hint of an idea from me and suddenly the, the, the track just flows in his mind. There's definitely, I don't know, the, the universe, there's something weird, weird universal chemistry that, that yes. transcends uh, borders, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Music is, a, is a, a brilliant example of that, isn't it? It, it, it is magic. It is, it is a mag magical thing and it's stuff that you can't put into words as much as we're trying to over the, the, the course of these processes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, Rudolf, you're a, you're a creative person in your day job. You've kind of alluded to, to go into film school. And, and so are you happy to talk a little bit about your, your filmmaking and how, uh, how that is for you now as a creative person? Yes, I, I, I just knew I had to, to do something creative in my life. So, so um, uh, when I left South Africa, it was very much with the idea of uh, going to England, making my mark, becoming a filmmaker. So I started to make short films in England, uh, eventually led me to a feature film in the US. And um, uh, I've now made four feature films. Uh, uh, 
for various levels of success on them. And uh, I, I love it as well. It's a wonderful, in a weird way, film also has music, of course, that's a big part of it. It's a visual thing. So, so really, really enjoy it. Do those creative streams of music and, and film sit separately for you or do they fulfill the same kind of remit for you? Uh, same kind of same kind of remit for me. Yeah, very much. Do you write as well? Do you, do you write? The, I do. I do. Together? Yeah. Uh, I've co-written one of my features, but it's, it's still kind of my unfulfilled dream to to direct my, my own passion project, so to speak. Of course, it, of course, it's of course it's in uh, in uh, <laughs> the Hey, that's an idea. We, oh, no. we can we can definitely write our own apartheid story. Of <laughs> that's right, that's right. Maybe you've kickstarted something here, spark for something. It's, well, it's in the air, isn't it? With um, Belfast, I suppose, and yeah. and and the the story that Ken yeah. Brown is telling there, and how music's used used in that film, and. Um, there's definitely another there are well you've all you've touched on other aspects of um apartheid in south africa and and this and an underrepresented aspect of that in terms of young people and youth culture and mm. and how the, the 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 ban on you know um music coming in and culture coming in from elsewhere um, yes and and you know it's actually uh, sorry to interrupt you steve but you just made me realize you know this underground alternative culture was very much the culture in south africa that accepted uh mixed races yeah, and you know out, uh, black people were as welcome in the clubs we went to as white people which is which wasn't the case in in in, in traditional south africa you know um so so and and we see the same thing of course now with the with the bans going on against against russia um sanctions against russia i think it's art i think Art not bullets can be just as impactful and as important to to bring change about. Yeah, it adds it adds a vitality to the, to to that protest that you know it, that's essential and, and to that you know taking a stand that's absolutely essential, especially when people are you know cracking down on on sort of more traditional forms of public protest. Mm. Yeah, you know, coming from by the the back door. Uh, yeah, you should write that. You guys. Yeah, should. there's a story, <laughs> definitely a story yeah, to be told, isn't there? There really is. There really is. Um, underground in music in an underground culture yeah, and yeah. yeah that's interesting there's there's adversity and all sorts in there it's, yeah yeah and, and and as much as music is a, a, a an instant uh sensory experience i thought oh talking about music for an hour is going to be a boring thing but we've been talking for 55 <laughs> minutes and i'm having a great time it's not boring at all no, at least not for me <laughs> that's a relief yeah. let's, let's hope your listeners agree <laughs> i love how the the conversations about your experience in the part of the part i have come out through naturally through the conversation because before before you came on the call steve and i were talking and we kind of had a little bit of trepidation about how how whether we should approach that as part of the conversation or not right. and it's just it has just naturally evolved in such a a fine way that I, you know it's very very satisfying to hear you both talk about it in the way that you have um going on to um we were just talking about you know, your filmmaking rudolph but um Jacques, for you are you um a, a creative person in other areas of your life no, not at all. For for my sins of letting Rudolph go to England, not going with him, I'm 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 not. I'm not not involved in a in a, in a creative job. I want to correct him because he does this incredible woodwork and uh, he makes these beautiful handcrafted uh, sushi knives and and 
So no, he's he, he so, still does. <laughs> no correction. Yeah, no. You, you know what? My, my my day job is not creative at all. It's it very cerebral and you know in the head and the music and being creative with woodworking and and the music that Rudolf and myself self makers. It it's it's honestly. If it wasn't for that, it would be antidepressants and all of that kind of nonsense. It mm -hmm. it, it honestly keeps me sane. You know, mm. just getting out of yeah. my head. You know, um, yeah, the, the the creative process is very important for me. Yeah, I can totally Well, what about future plans then for your for for the work, the music that you're making together? Where's it going to live? How are people going to get to hear it? When are you going to uh, release it into the world? So yeah, I, I, go on. No, no. Um, so so Rudolf released. Um, or he, he actually uh, published a viral overload for us on Bandcamp, if, if I'm not mistaken, Rudolph. You know, yeah. so, so so that that song's on there. There was another song um, that was just an in, instrumental that that we did that that is going to be used in in a movie, a very short clip or something. Rudolph, not a. Uh, that's right, Jacques. It's actually one that Jacques composed. Is going to be in a in a, a director's cut of my first film that's coming out. Um, so. So that's that's that one, and then um, yeah, I, I find I love Bandcamp these days. I buy all my music in Bandcamp because I feel like at least artists get some royalties that mm -hmm. way, as as opposed to. And then um, we do have uh, quite a how many songs have we got recorded now uh, in a demo than, in a more than a, a, a album's worth of stuff. But when more than an album's worth. When when Rudolph was out here, when 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 were you out here, Rudolph? You you and Suzanne? I was there in March last year. March last year, we we actually started, um, just writing down which of the songs that we we want to focus on. We'd like to finish properly, That's yeah. So, uh, and 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 the world of film has introduced me to some some wonderful people. So that that the idea would be to get a couple of session. Yeah. Hello there, Ben. Uh, a couple of session <laughs> artists to, to help us out a little, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, just just polish our songs up. Maybe get a, a get some some strings on some of them. Uh, I have a friend. I have a friend who's an amazing saxophone player who's helping out on a couple of tracks. So I think the idea is to do a little self self produced album yeah. in uh, over the next year. Yeah. So there, there is an album in your mind now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Songs, yeah. Definitely. And and what I like is is that I don't have have access to to any of those those sort of live session musicians or or talented people, but Rudolf does. And and um, the one song we did, that friend of his played the the saxophone, and and it it always does for me. As much as I love synth, as soon as you bring a live instrument anywhere into the song, it it's just amazing what what happens to that song. Because one of the inherent weaknesses of doing, uh, you, you know, long, long distance uh, digital recording is you, you miss that. You know, nothing beats a, a real instrument mm. played uh, yep. uh, on a recording. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, agreed. Well, best best of luck with that. It's been so brilliant to have you on the podcast, and and it feels like. Like we've celebrated your friendship is what it, I, it I'm, uh, how, it how I'm is, feeling yeah. this evening <laughs> yeah, at, the, at the end of this conversation. Um, uh, a, a really nice way to kind of, um, yeah, celebrate the two of you and, and, and the, the creativity that you share. Thank you so much for coming on and being so open and honest and giving of your stories and, and your uh, your time making music together. Um, are you happy to uh, 
introduce the songs that people are going to hear now, please. Sharp, over to you. Oh, uh, go for it, Rudolf. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, which are which are we featuring first? Do you guys reckon the old or the new? Do we go from old to new or new old, to old? Old to new. Old, old to new. So this is Gargoyle Yawn, uh, con uh, recorded somewhere in the late 80s or very early 90s with a song called Suicide Dictionary. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Rudolph. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, guys.
from colorless to colorblind and back again to black and white from diving swans to suicides they glide distressed as the world floats by from park bench breaches to beggars blind can't you see I'm one of these but I still wave my sign
Songs from a Padded Envelope is presented, produced and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state-sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Canning. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Hive production. Mm -hmm.